Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. Somewhere in the background is my dog eating a blanket. And joining us now, a man who's hiding a candle, and we're going to find out where, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to tell you what. How has <laughs> it started? February 26, 1995. We're coming to you from the Knoxville Civic Coliseum Band, and I'm tell you how it's going. It's Smoky Mountain. It's uh, Bloody Sunday. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And that's the night, 27 years ago on this day, that Bobby Blaze upset the, the whole world of professional wrestling by beating Jerry the King Lawler and later that evening beating the nature boy Buddy Landell to retain the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Championships. At Knoxville Civic Coliseum is one of my all-time favorite buildings to wrestle in, Jeremy. And I know that's this week's topic, so I want to try to put that in there because I got several messages yesterday uh, congratulating me. And I know it's been a hot minute. This a long time ago. Uh, my man Brock put a little thing up there, how I started, how it's going, and had my original title on there with a picture of me standing there with the uh, blood all over me, the mm -hmm. Sunday Bloody Sunday. And they had a new picture where um, the title, um, the replica title they got me with, you know, at an appearance I had here recently. And see how how little I've actually aged during that time. Uh -huh. Look, but, look uh, practically yeah. identical, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I dyed my hair back then real dark. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bobby, I've got, I've got that picture of you covered in blood holding the title belt, right? And my, yes. my grandson, when he saw that a handful of years ago and a couple of times, he asked me, Hey, can I see that, that picture of your dead friend with his wrestling belt? <laughs> you told me. <laughs> well, I'm still alive and kicking. I'm just yep. trying to outlive a few more people, including myself, man. <laughs> we got a fun show pack today. We got a top 10 venues and, um, just, well, we're going to do probably more than 10. I just mentioned one just now. We're going to have some fun with it too, man. Yeah. Uh, What's going on your way, Jeremy, man? Oh, my dog is super rambunctious and extra destructive last couple days. Um, has there been much of anything? Uh, not really getting ready to launch another podcast. Um, I think I've hit the point where I might be over the NWA. That's, that's pretty much it. Ah, I didn't watch the NWA like I normally do this weekend. Yeah. I did not. Well, so, let me let me let me tell you one thing. I'm gonna leave so, it there. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna watch it. Yeah. I'm just saying I the last two weeks I just had. Eh, I'm I'm not gonna watch it for a little while. Well, so let me let me just say Camille versus Taryn Terrell might be worth looking at. Okay. Okay. Might be worth looking at. Um, I'm I'm not saying I'm going to tune it back in and catch it all up. It's just um, I've had some other things sure. going on and uh, just. Uh, uh, I'll get back into it. I'm sure nothing against the talent there. Anything nope. like that. It's just, uh, lost a little bit of interest. Has some other stuff coming up. Yeah. That's all. Well, you know, I run on like a four year thing where I'm real interested in wrestling and then I'm not, you know, and, yeah. uh, gotcha. you know, we've, we've been at this about four years now. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. But, uh, let me tell you, I'll tell you something exciting yesterday. Um, I uh, got to hang out with Shane Douglas and Tommy Rich, man. Got oh. to see two guys I think a lot of. Uh, FTC, the Art of Drafting School, had a seminar, and um, Tommy and Shane put it on. A couple of the students come out. Uh, uh, Brock's and Bubbles and uh, Caleb came out, a couple others. Um, had a nice little class. It was um, 
a little learning seminar, told a lot of stories, man. Uh, Tommy telling some stories that just uh, uh, brought back a lot of memories, and Shane did too. Uh, bring up a couple here in just a little bit once we get into our um, our podcast, you know, what buildings we're in and stuff. I'll share a story uh, that just kind of goes along. They had no idea we was doing a podcast on, sto- uh, you know, arenas yeah. or buildings, <clears throat> but, but just in their stories, you know, uh, places they had been and, and stuff, it came up, and I thought, I can tie that into the program tomorrow, guys, you know. But um, anyway, uh, wanted to mention one other thing. I seen my, oh, I know what it was. They also had an appearance, and we'll get to this later on too, Jeremy. Okay. Uh, they had an appearance in town for <clears throat> Time Warp. They had a show in West Virginia they were doing. Uh, so they, had a, they did a seminar there Friday, a uh, seminar here yesterday morning, and then they did an appearance at the uh, Time Warp in downtown or the uh, town center in Ashland, and then they had matches later at night. Uh, were involved in some matches uh, back up West Virginia, so that's what it was. That's why. Oh, here okay, for. yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. But uh, like I said, I I went over and hung out with them and and watched them and uh, you know do their stuff and uh, it was a nice conversation amongst all of us and uh, and I think the students all took something away from it. Uh, yeah. I know I did. Uh, just little things, you know. It's just it's always good to learn, man. Oh, absolutely. So, like said, is there I mean, something you can share with us that you that you picked up yesterday? Uh, just you know, stuff I knew, um, but it, it's good to be refreshed on. Sure. For an example, uh, Shane was he told he said I'm sure Bobby's told you all about uh, you know false finishes and stuff, and so um, you know he laid down on a mat there and uh, you know. It, one, two, three, okay? You know, don't don't speed the cadence up when you're, you know, it's like a, a song. One, two, three, when the ref's taking a pin, you know, or giving a pin. And, you know, one of the things, I, I'd worked this out with Mark Curtis back in the day. You know, one, two, and depends where you're on the, in the match at, when you're going to kick out. Of course, this is toward the false finish, towards the end. And I had it down to where Curtis would bring his arm down and I mean, right at that last second before he tapped that mat, I'd get my shoulder up, you know. Mm-hmm. What, what Shane was talking about was, is, um, and it makes perfectly good sense to me, people leave this out, um, is when you're laying there, you just lay there. There's nothing else moving. No foot movements, no no indication that you can kick out at all because now it's toward the end of the match. You're dead. It's a false finish. Only, you know, you two are the people, you know, you, you – Two guys working a ref should be the only one know when you're gonna raise that shoulder. And Tommy blended in, and I've told students this for years. Uh, if that referee, of course, hopefully the referee's not gonna go one, two, three and fast count trash, right. you know. But if it's professional referee, one, two, three, okay. Well, Tommy said Tommy said this and, and Shane agreed, and I've said this, um, of course I agreed yesterday. If you don't fucking kick out, that's your fault. You just got fucking pinned. That might not have been the finish, but guess what? The match is over because that referee has a job to do. Now, I'm not saying that he, he should have done it if he's got a regular cadence. I'm saying if he, or if he fucks it up by speeding it up, but if he's got a regular cadence, one, two, three, okay, and you know that, and you don't kick out, it's not, it's not the referee's fault, and it's not your opponent's fault, you know. So um, you just got beat, and they – Think it was, uh, and if you don't like it, fuck you. And then if you go in the back and complain about it, fuck you again. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's what that was Tommy said. But it went down to Shane to say, look, I'm laying here completely still until that hand's coming down. And it's one, 
Two, and when that hand, when I finally know I'm going to kick out, that's when you move your body, roll your shoulder, you know, whatever. And uh, just little things like that that make so much sense that people, uh, one of the things I had written on a board, and they, were, they weren't, I'm going to say 10 minutes into their, into their seminar, and one of them said, think, shoot, then work. And I wanted to jump up and say, I put that up there in May. <laughs> on that board, but I didn't. And uh, they, they continue to talk, they continue to talk, and uh, they come back a couple times about, you gotta think it was like real. If you're at a bar, you know, what would you do? How, you know, you gotta think it's real, like it's a shoot and didn't work. And finally, towards the end, uh, 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 one of the students pointed out to the board, that's one of the things I put for. I said, yeah, I said, I wasn't going to interrupt you. I said, I wrote that up there on May, so these people started understanding how you got to treat this business, you know. Um, Think it's real, you know. Think shoot didn't didn't work and work it, you know. Yeah. Um, Tommy Rich did the old uh, Toji Yamamoto deal to uh, I think he did it to Brock's. Uh, what uh, Tojo did to Jerry Jarrett uh, in the car. Uh, reached out and grabbed his ear. Didn't put any pressure. Said, "Now look in the mirror." And he cranked his ear and he, and he looked at the face. And, and Brock's made a pretty good face, too, because Tommy, you know, had a grip on it. And uh, Brock sold it, which he should have. But uh, then Tommy let it go and said, then, see, we can work because I can just guide you around. My hand's just taking you around. You should be selling the ear like you felt it, you know. So little things like that that, that go over uh, – get overlooked so many times, I guess, Yeah, is, is what I'm trying to say. And that's something I'm good at. Uh, when I, when I do a class or I, I'm teaching a class and, and, and Kevin Sullivan gave me this compliment. Uh, I can tell him five or six years ago, he come, he came by while I was doing a, uh, a three day seminar and he came by, uh, I always make sure you're looking at your opponent. I don't care where you're at, if you're hanging your hands and knees on your back, you better know where your opponent is at at all times. You know, the eyes, you know, you, you got to use your eyes and that helps your ring awareness. And also you know what the fuck he's doing. If he's some goof or something, uh, he don't, you don't be walking around stumbling and stuff on your fingers or, you know, crawling out of ring where you shouldn't be or whatever, you know, it could be anything. So, uh, I always say, you know, keep your eyes on your opponent, you know, know where he is at at all times. And uh, that's just one of those little things that, uh, that, you know, if you're in a boxing match and you take your eyes off your opponent, you just, you know, they tell you protect yourself at all times, you know. Yep. Um, that's the way it should be. So, yeah, there was there was a couple little things I took away from it that, that I knew, but I liked seeing being re-emphasized, you know. To the students, to the art grappling students, and there was a couple other from uh, uh, Moose's uh, school, Appalachian wrestling up in uh, West Virginia. Uh, he's he's a hell of a good guy too. You'll probably get to meet him when you come to town, Jeremy. Okay, okay. Uh, real good guy from over named Moose, uh, Appalachian uh, championship wrestling. I think yeah, I, for is. for such a small area, just the the amount of promotions and viable promotions that you guys have there is just amazing to me. Yeah, well, it's a pretty good area, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, the thing is, and, and Tommy brought this up yesterday, uh, and it is going on some. It really is. There's several we've got a you know relationship with the, the FTC and and a couple. Of, if the promoters could get together and say, "Look, I'm bringing this guy in. I know, I know, it's like an NWA type thing. You know, like, look, I've got this guy coming in, and you're going to be running a show. You know, would you like to run a co-show together? You know, you do your town, I'll do my town, but we can split the cost of this one or 
two top stars they're bringing in, you know. Yeah. Um, and maybe even get a three-day run out of it. So, you know, you want to promote another town together and and, uh, and do that. Uh, I think that's going to happen. I really do. I think it's coming back, man. Uh, maybe, again, I'm just uh, smoking the old hopium, not, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, trying to keep my pulse on the – the heartbeat of the fucking independent scene. But, uh, but Tommy and Shane seem to be thinking that too, man. They really did. They emphasized it a lot. Um, and I, and what they weren't giving false hope to the students. They were just saying, this is how this works. If you all get out here and do this and hustle a few towns. And he goes, another thing is he, Tommy said, I like it. Cause, uh, you know, he might bring me back up here again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, and he was in, I think he was in, in, uh, <clears throat> Last month, it was early in the month because I spoke to him on the phone. Uh, uh, Joe hand, hand me, called me, which we usually text unless it's something important. But anyway, my phone rang middle afternoon and he said, Bobby. I said, yeah. He goes, here. And it was Tommy Rich on the other end. They was at a show together uh, over in Ohio. And I was like, that's cool. You know. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that kind of phone call, you know. No, but it's good cool, to catch yeah. up with them. I, seen, seen, I had seen Shane. uh I've seen him once since August, and then I saw Tommy, I guess it's been two or three years ago, um, either at an ASW show or at this uh, big event that's coming up next month. I'll see them both again on um, March the 7th at Bobby Fulton's big show, and I'll have some more information on that next week because uh, I'll be going over there, and we want to push that a little bit for Bobby, help him out. But he's got a... Uh, a huge show coming up, a fan fest, and then a wrestling match later that evening. He's got, he's got over 40 superstars coming to that. Uh, and we'll talk about more, that more later on. But uh, anyway, let's get into our top venues. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good to me. <clears throat> so uh, we're, I don't think we're going to number these or anything. We're just going to kind of, no, no. yeah, kind of go down a list and discuss them as we go. And um, right here, we've got the, uh, the Cow Palace at the top of the list. And of course, that's that's here in my neck of the woods. Uh, it's in San Francisco. It was opened in 1941 with a seating capacity of 16,000, or I'm sorry, 1,655. No, 16,550, right? We're short a number yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah, legendary matches Ray Stevens versus Pat Patterson. Uh, you could probably extend that list out a little bit because uh, they did their big matches there. Roy Shire did his big matches at the Cow Palace. That's where he held them. Um, but when Roy Shire started to fall, uh, Vern Gagne put matches in there as well. Um, there were a number 324 total. Look pro- at your notes there, Jeremy, if you need to. Okay. Just so you know, I, uh, for some reason, that didn't take a while ago. It's on there now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I did yeah. add that on there. Okay. That'll make it easier for you. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, yeah. I mean, start there, Vern Gagne's AWA. Uh, da, 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 da. Sorry, guys. I got to kind of read along here. Right after 1981. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Vern Gagne's AWA then moved into the, uh, into the area and took residence at the Cow Palace, drawing 10,000 gate in 1983. But crowds dwindled after that. From 1985 onwards, Vince moved in and started running shows with Hogan on top. Because uh, what Vince was doing was going into Vern's old territories with his stars and uh, running shows. Um, blah, blah, blah. AWA, WWF uh, actively battled over the Cow Palace. After Super Clash 2 drew a brutal 2800-1987, the writing was on the wall. Three months later, WWF TV taping drew 14700 and the place belonged to Vince. JCP tried their hand at running in 1988 with Sting versus Flair on top, 
drawing only 4,500 people, which was less than half what a rate. God damn. You know, those are considered like classic matches now. Sting versus Flair. Oh, yeah. Only drew 4,500 people. Um, Savage. Let's see here. Half the WWF spot show drew a month later was Savage versus DiBiase. Vince ran an unchallenged all the way until 97 WCW State Super Brawl 7, drawing 13,324 with Hogan versus Piper on top. It continues to be used for wrestling to this day, although the WWE haven't been there since 2012. Well, wrestling just kind of got back in there. Uh, it was just a handful okay. of years ago where, because uh, they made a big deal out of it. Uh, I can't remember whose promotion it was. But they made a big deal that wrestling has come back to the Cow Palace. And yeah. so there had been there had been a little bit of a gap in there for maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years. Um so yeah, so I had been to a rodeo there, but that's the limit of my exposure to the Cow Palace. Gotcha. Um yeah. and you know, that would have been my dad dragging me to a rodeo, which you know, my dad only went places to get laid, Bobby, so there you go. Yeah. Well, hell, he knew what he wanted, didn't he? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My, my connection to the Cow Palace is um, Ron Starr. Um, I'm going to be reading something just a little bit out of uh, one of the, the uh, Rock Rims books. But um, Ron used to talk about, when, I, when he's booked up in Canada, uh, he used to talk about working at the Cow Palace. And uh, I'm just going to look. I've read this book, and it just has a little couple, couple brief little things here. Um, he was on his way to Japan. <laughs> And had some other U.S. title matches at the Cow Palace. Uh, and after Northern California for 20 years, then it said Roy Shire Wrestling Promotion was on its last legs when he was coming through there. So that's probably about the time, you know, Vince then started running it too. Yeah, that makes sense according to Ron's career here. But anyway, um, you know, he just he always liked it. He said it was overrated as a building, though. You know. Um, it was just a big rodeo place. That's what, yep. it, kind of that's what it was. Said. So you know. Um, I just one of those things, uh, but yeah, that's the Cow Palace, man. I, 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 I think I'd have loved to work there just from hearing about it and reading about it. You know, um, I obviously didn't, but um, yeah, I wish I could have won a mode promotion, man. That'd been really cool. Um, well, it's but, probably uh, it's probably right. like it's probably just like that list of of venue names where you're like, you know, uh, the Chase. It's it's a place you would have liked to yeah. have been if it had still been something. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's move on to uh, the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. Hot Atlanta, GA. Yep. Uh, opened in 1972. The capacity was 16,378. Legendary match, Tommy Rich versus Buzz Sawyer. That was 10-23-83. Uh, Had a total of 291 uh, sh- uh, shows there. Um, and talking to Tommy yesterday, and uh, again, he was just what didn't even know uh, – I think I told you off there. Uh, he didn't even know we was going to be. I was doing a podcast on arenas or anything, but I was like, "Yeah." I said, so he was sitting there talking about um, uh, him and Abby in the Omni and just getting the crap beat out of him. But he how he fought from under and showed that fire, and that's why he became the star he did. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because he could show that fire and that he could fight from under. Um, talked about um, him and Buzz Sawyer, of course. Uh, he didn't go into great detail of matches. He was telling the students, you know, different stories. Uh, talked about Mr. Wrestling number two being there when uh, uh, Jimmy Carter was president. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Tommy, was, Tommy was just about 18, 19 years old, I guess. 
which makes sense because I know I, my age and his age, and he was talking about um, uh, 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 shit. Jimmy Carter's mom coming. Uh, they had uh, took her to the uh, in the back, you know, and she sat down and had like a twelve minute uh, conversation with like, like Mr. Wrestling too. But the the bodyguards and stuff, you know, the the big bodyguards came in and cleared everyone out. You know, CIA, you know, you know what I'm talking about Secret Service, uh, yeah, Secret Service. Thank you, Secret, yep. yeah, Secret Service. And he just told a little story about that and stuff, and uh, just talking about selling it out, man, and you know, working from the bottom. But that's uh, one thing I remember about the Omni when it opened in '72. Um, I don't know. Jeremy, if this took place in 72, I'm thinking this might have taken place in 74, so someone can fact check me on this. Um, what I remember about it was um, on the wide world of sports, and it, since it opened in 72, it might have actually happened in 72. I'm just saying. In my mind, it was like I was a little bit older. Yeah. Anyway, the um, Harlem Globetrotters had a guy named Metalark Lemon. You know, he was one of the the leaders of them. You yeah. Know, each each generation has a has their leader. You know, Goose or whoever it is. Well, just when Metal Arc was, you know, kind of the man in charge, the Metal Arc Curly, those kind of days. You know, well, and Metal Arc was known for that hook shot, and I think he was going to be up on the fourth level um, mezzanine type deal deck or whatever you know, and he was going to shoot that hook shot. And in my mind, I can't remember if I watched it live or watched it, you know, later on or however it was. And he, he, he made that hook shot, you know, from way up. Nowadays, you see them super dudes, uh, number one videos. And these guys are doing these basketball tricks and ping pong tricks and, you know, pretty amazing shit you can watch there on YouTube when you go down the wrong rabbit hole. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, it was a big it was a big deal for the opening that you know the Atlanta Hawks were going to play there of course but uh Metal Arc was going to shoot that hook shot and uh that was I guess that was part of the opening or within a you know, a reasonable time of the opening um or maybe the first time where I were sports even shot something from there Jeremy but it was in that in that time frame you know mid 70s there or sorry, 72 73 74 somewhere in that time period yeah so um and then that that match with um Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer that was on YouTube for a while, and someone took it down. I don't know if it's back up there again or not. It's a pretty bloody match. Um, that's the one where they get up on the cage, crawling out of the cage, and it's just a, a you know big bloodbath. Um, again, I don't know if it's still up on it or not. Uh, trying to think of it. Oh, Omni was also known as the uh, Madison Square Garden of the South. Mm-hmm. So name that. Um, Anything else you want to talk about well, the Omni Man? You know what? What I think of when I when I hear the Omni, when I think of the Omni, I always hear it in Dusty Rhodes' voice. You know, usually usually uh, yeah. yelling at Ole Anderson. You know, like Ole, yeah. I will see you at the Omni. You know, need Omni Friday. Yep. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, that was their, I don't know, was that every every month, every other month or so, where they do a blow-off show there, and, you know, that was their that was their big thing, and usually ended yeah. up with Dusty being a tag team partner with somebody who ended up fucking him at the end of the night, and then the Andersons yeah. would come in and kick the shit out of him, and then somebody gets stabbed by the audience, you know, it, was, yeah. <laughs> it always kind of went the, a certain uh, way. The other good thing about that was, um, when at Georgia TV, the... Um, you know, every once in a while, you'd get footage from the Omni. Oh, you know, yeah. Something happened that past weekend. And so, you you know, I loved how Gordon Soli used to do that. They'd bring in, uh, you know, we, we found out last night in Tampa, Florida, you know, and they'd say something about maybe uh, uh, 
Gary or uh, a Dory or, or Terry Funk or, you know, they say something happened, uh, one of the Briscoes, you know, and they put that footage up there the best they could, and they do the same thing with the, uh, the Omni, you I say, you know, last night, Dusty Rhodes fans, we just got a, you know, we just got this footage, it's a little bit raw, and they'd show something, they'd show that clip, just that teaser, that for next week or next month, you know, Dusty and Ole or whoever, they're going to be in a cage or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. It just, uh, then they come out and do the live promo right there on the, on the TBS spot, you know. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. So, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, so for me, that's it's always going to be in Dusty Rhodes' voice, you know. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you, Thawdust. I hear you, Daddy. <laughs> well, let's move on. You want to announce this next one? Uh, the um, next one is the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis. Uh, so I think I've only really become aware of St. Louis's history in pro wrestling maybe in the last five years. Um or, you know, I mean, it was, it's in my mind. I was probably aware of it. It just wasn't top of mind, and I didn't understand what a big thing it was. Um, yeah. You know, and Harley Race and all these guys that, you know, come through there and the venues that were there. Um, what's kind of your memory of, of uh, the kill? You know, very similar. I think, um, obviously, with the introduction of the Internet and getting old footage and seeing, you know, uh, I've heard stories from there before, of course. Um, no recollection of, uh, you know, like, uh, obviously St. Louis was a, an important part in professional wrestling, especially NWA. Other than magazines seeing something, maybe where someone shot a picture from the, the Kill Auditorium, you know, mm-hmm. or they had a match report in the back of, of the um, the magazine, the, the Arena Roundup or whatever, you know. Uh, but, yeah, other than probably the last, you know, like you, maybe five to five to 10 years, you know, I know just, uh, just what's, what's happened with the internet and we're, you know, okay, we got this week's matches, uh, uh, or from X amount of years ago, you know, and yeah. now of course, um, uh, with the, uh, NWA, um, did their, their, uh, one of their bigger shows recently out in St. Louis, you know, it's just, um, just made it, put it back on a map, so to say. Also, I read Luthez's book, and you know he mentioned it quite a bit throughout the book. Um, but that's been twenty years ago, you know, when I read that book. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, very very limited. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, the um, I'm gonna read this real quickly because you brought it up earlier. Mm-hmm. The venue was also in stark contrast to the one permanent arena in St. Louis, the Chase Hotel. While the Chase presented wrestling in a ballroom lit by chandeliers accommodated patrons who dressed in high fashion with only the very best food and beverage to kill sold hot dogs to... <laughs> I started to say racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you may be right in some counts, yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, what is that? <laughs> raucous, uh, raucous crowds. Raucous fans uh, dressed like, well, wrestling fans. <laughs> Going to kill meant one thing. You're going to a wrestling event. It wasn't going to be just any random card you want to see, though, you know. So yeah. uh, just kind of, I looked at that, I'm like, wait a minute, go, don't, don't, don't stutter, Bobby, don't stutter. <laughs> Not a place to pick up your stammer right there. So yeah, when they, when they say dress like wrestling fans, what, what, what do they mean? Like, like uh, old T-shirts with holes in it, covered in chewing tobacco, a trucker's hat, and, <laughs> and, and then the men are dressed even worse, or what do you think they meant? <laughs> I think you nailed it there. <laughs> um, no, I think, uh, you know, I, honestly, uh, the, 
people I see at wrestling matches. Now, in Japan, it's quite different, of course. Like I mentioned before, people come dressed up all the time there. Yeah. But, uh, no, you know, mostly a pair of blue jeans, uh, T-shirt, overalls, uh, or a um, uh, flannel shirt, you know, a hoodie, a ball cap, uh, you know. Uh, foot attire could be anything, cowboy boots to flip-flops to, to uh, uh, you know, ball shoes or whatever. Uh, I've seen girls come very, very dressed up, uh, you know, and I've seen them come just, you know, in, in baggy clothes, you know. So yeah. It's just whatever you feel comfortable in, you know. So, um, man, I had a story about flip flops there. Well, I was I was gonna I was gonna bring up the, the chase. I think for most of us, you know, mo- like even guys our age, like we didn't grow up when you got dressed to fly on a plane or when you got dressed to go to dinner. Um, and especially here in Central California, that wasn't really a thing. But yeah. the generation before us in in the slightly larger cities and the in the coming suburbs. The, your parents change clothes before dinner. You know, they put on something nice, and the kids were expected to go wash up and change their shirt. When you went anywhere, you probably wore a suit. Like yeah. if you And if you were going to fly, that was an event. That was something you dressed up for. And if you were going to dinner at the Chase to watch wrestling, you put on a tuxedo. And that's probably one of those things that's kind of weird to think about. You're sitting at a table with a white dining room, with a white tablecloth, <laughs> Under yeah. a chandelier, next to a wrestling ring, yeah, in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's the thing about it, though, Jeremy. You can look back at old pictures, and there'll be old pictures of NFL games, and the men will have their hats on and suits. You know, women are mm-hmm. dressed up. The same thing of Major League Baseball. Uh, you don't see a lot of just people sitting around in jeans and t-shirts. Most people are dressed up. Uh, like you said, the men have their hats on. You know, suit and ties, uh, and all that. The, um, uh, but yeah, I thought that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I had an idea for a uh, restaurant at one point. It was only going to be open like maybe two nights a week just for dinner. Right. And mm-hmm. it was going to have, it was going to have a burlesque act, a musical act, and then a three course meal. And it was only open. And then you get, get the fuck out. And it was going to literally, I was going to call the place jacket required. And if you, required. Yeah, and if you showed up in less than than a suit and the, and women in a in a dress, you yeah. booted the fuck out. <laughs> You're not getting mm. in. Well, I thought about opening a restaurant one time, and I was going to call it Bot's Castle after my grandfather, Daddy Bot. Now you can figure out yeah. where the Bot came from. So it's going to be called Bot's Castle, but of course it was going to have no jacket required. <laughs> and one of my gimmicks was going to be this is a shoot now. Uh, if you ask, is the tea fresh? You got free tea. Could we be making fucking fresh southern tea every day at, at Bot's Castle? I thought about that. I don't know if I'll get to do it or not, but uh, maybe open my food truck and call it Bot's Castle. There you but, go. Uh, yeah, no, no jacket required. Uh, in fact, you better show up in, uh, uh, you oh, know, some overalls or something. Especially if you're a girl. Well, no, I was going to say a girl. I was going back to my flip flop story. This girl was telling me she's about 25 now, and this happened. Uh, about a year after she got out of high school. In the summer, she got out of high school. And uh, she doesn't live in this area. She, uh, I think she's a South Carolina girl. <laughs> anyway, uh, man, she said that um, she uh, went over to return a dress to her one of her friends, right? And uh, she took it into the house. And the, uh, she didn't know anyone was going to be there. And she's standing by the refrigerator. Here comes around the corner, the girl's dad. Well, they just looked at each other. And they kissed. 
And, you know, this is a guy that's like her dad's age, you know. Mm-hmm. And she'd tell me her first time she'd be with older men. That's why she liked older men. Anyway, she called her Mr. G. Anyway, they kiss. And she they startled each other. And she said, I swear, I swear I think he's in there watching porn is what I think he was doing. But he didn't know I was in the house. I didn't know he was in the house. She said, so he kissed me again. <laughs> and then he picked me up. And it was a flip-flop went this way, a flip-flop went that way. <laughs> and he set me on the counter and pulled my skirt back and gave me a quick lick. And next thing I know, I said, it's on, motherfucker. Let's go. It's real. And she said, we fucked. And she said, it's pretty much over before it started. But uh, she said, it was pretty hot. She said, I still think about it sometimes. Frizzed out, man. Let's That's head up it. to Detroit and check it out up there. Yeah. Well, let's... we know to go to Cobo Arena up there in Detroit, Michigan. Opened in 1960. Capacity was 16,000 people. The legendary match, Bobo Bazil versus the Sheik, 731-65. I imagine they had a lot of them. Uh, number of shows, 337. I would say Bobo and the Sheik were about 375 of them. Oh, I imagine. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, the place is synonymous. Yeah, the place is synonymous with the Sheik. That's that was his like spot. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, anywhere the Sheik went, there was, you know, not not cheese graters necessarily, but there was gallons of blood and there was crazy, crazy stuff. And um, my biggest memory of the Kobo, though, is the stupid monster truck sumo match where the giant fell off the roof. Yeah. Turning Hulk Hulk Hogan into a murderer. And then the giant shows up for his next match and it's never mentioned again. Yeah, I, I never did get that. Um I don't know what the date was on that, but it seemed like uh, I was home. I don't know if I was with the company still, but it seemed like I was home sitting in this room right here watching that on TV um, when that took place. I know I wasn't there, I just, I, but I can't remember if I was still working with the company or not. You know, uh, if it's in 99, um, I was still there. Yeah. But uh, also, Detroit had the um, uh, Joe Lewis Arena uh, that was used there. And um, I'm going to give an honorable mention out here to uh, the uh, Palace at Albert Hills in Detroit, Michigan. I got to do, excuse me. Now, the thing about that is the Palace is not downtown uh, in in Detroit like the other two were. The Palace is out in Albert Hills. It takes you about 20, 30 minutes to get out there to it. Real big, nice arena, but I got to go out there and do two pay-per-views there, World War III in 97 and World War III uh, in uh, 98. And uh, I'm not really sure, but we're in 2022. We might be fucking getting ready to go to World War III now. No. I don't know. Just throw that out there. But uh, I think it's a work, and I hope it is. But, I, yeah, I just want to put the palace out there at Robert Hills as, a, as an honorable mention of personal favorite because I got to do some pay-per-views, got a pretty good check for it, and got some good exposure for it. And it's a good feeling when someone says, um, the first pay-per-view I bought, you was on it, you know, someone from my hometown. Or I'd be out to the video store, um, and people would say, you know, you're on a video, you got a video if you want it out there at Blockbuster or out there at the gallery or at the food uh the, the movie connection and stuff like that, you know, I'm like, yeah, I know, you know, I mean, I'd be, I'd be modest about it. You know what I'm saying? Cause most of the time as younger person, um, you know, teenager or something, say, ah, oh, man, I, you know, I saw you at the pay-per-view like, okay. Well, you know, uh, bringing, bringing that up, um, a little while back, 
there's a game I bought right before my ex-wife and I split up, and it was an online game. I hadn't played it forever, but I'd spent like fifty bucks on it, and I was bored one Saturday after or Sunday after we play. Uh, it was a Sunday after we had recorded, and I decided I was going to play that game because I had about an hour I wanted to kill and not really do much of anything. So it's online with other people. I strike up a conversation with people as I'm doing some other shit. And I said, well, I'm going to get going because i got to go edit a show. Or Oh, you know, you know what it was? It was me and Sparks were going to record that night. I, I had to go so we could okay. record. That's what it was. And so I said something. Hey, i got a podcast. i got to record. Somebody goes, oh, what's your podcast? And I said, oh, it's with uh, retired wrestler uh, Bobby Blaze. And somebody pipes in automatically and goes, hey, ask him what it was like to be in a 60-man battle royal. <laughs> he goes, that was my first pay-per-view. My grandma let me get that back yeah, in. Right yeah, right on, man. So I, I was like, dig it. Yeah, I was like, okay, yeah. And I forgot forgot to bring it up after that, but I, I just thought okay. that was kind of funny. And so you bring it up that, you know, you'll be at the grocery store and get that the Piggly Wiggly, yeah. get that kind of thing. Is Yeah, that's pretty cool, yeah. you know. Well, i tell you what it's like, man. Uh the uh, the first year, um, you know, I was number fifty four and went out there, and I was supposed to stay about you know seven minutes or so, give me a little bit, a little push. I was in the first ring and um, do a little deal here and there. You know, you don't want to be out there bumping around or anything. But uh, uh, I had Chris Benoit throw me out, uh, someone I trusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, he took care of me. You know, professionals. Uh, mm. And, and, and I know, yeah. just telling yeah. it like it is. Man, I know, you know, I know. So uh, anyway, uh, the 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 next thing I tell you real quickly is is it's cold. You do this in the week of uh, the first, the week of uh, Thanksgiving. Okay, is when you tape this thing. Uh, that Sunday before Thanksgiving is you know when it broadcasts, not taped. Uh, but anyway, um, we're standing in the back, and someone in front of me. Starts, they raise the doors open. They got those big, you know, you can bring semi trucks into those arenas, you know. Yeah. Um, buses and whatever you want. I mean, it's a, they're fucking huge. And uh, someone opened the gate back there, and one of the wrestlers, and I don't know who it was to this day, started bitching and moaning about how cold it was. And we're all there in our gimmicks and stuff. Well, right behind me was Booker T. And man, Booker T went on a rant. About you think you're cold, motherfucker. How about all them policemen out there and them police women and them people parking cars? And you know, and he just he, he said just started ripping them, you know. And these guys were trying to fix something. Obviously, it was a big kind of a, a dump truck looking thing. So I don't know if they, you know, moving dirt or moving uh, uh, road road things to block roads off or whatever. They needed to come back in there for whatever reason. And man, he just lit this guy up. And again, I'm not trying to protect him with identity because I I can't remember who it was. Uh, but uh, anyway, I just turned back around and looked at Booker because he was like talking and I was right in front of him. And um, I just slowly turned around like, God damn, I'm glad I don't have any heat with Harlem Heat, you know. Yeah. But I, I said, man, I said, brother, um, he, he started saying, look all the money you up there making, you know, and, and we're making money here. And you're, them guys ain't making but $10 an hour over there, you know. He just cut a promo. And I said, man, I appreciate you saying that. I said, because I still know where I come from, too, because he put some things in there, you know. But uh, anyway, that took place, and that was the first year. Uh, now, the next year, the second year, it didn't go as planned. Uh, I was number 55, actually. Uh, uh, Glacier was supposed to throw me out. Uh, once again, I was in the uh, first ring and was supposed to stay in there about five to seven minutes. Uh, actually, that might have been seven to eight minutes. Yeah, I might have got a little more time the second year. But what happened was... Um, 
the first ring was the one as soon as you come out of the curtains that was the closest to the curtains and I'm in there and I'd done something I think I went to Glacier and you know, gave him a forearm or something and hey you know come and get me in a couple minutes you know and then work around with a couple other people and I'm standing there against the uh, rope and the next thing I know I feel big hand on the back of my head that takes up about my whole head another hand on the back of my tights that takes up about my whole ass and it says Time for you to go, big man. And there's a fucking giant. Paul. <laughs> Paul had picked me up. And I by the time he said, my head went from, you know, from below his shoulders, obviously, to up in where I was parallel, where my head was on his shoulders when he said, time for you to go, big man. So like a military press. Uh, so my body's parallel to the ground now. And he just pushed me right out off the edge. And I landed out on the... the on my feet on a mat like fuck you know he could have killed me but at least yeah. he took care of me you know what i'm saying uh, i hit and i turned around kind of did a bird to him or whatever i did like bitching selling whatever i did i don't don't rightly know but that's what it's like to be a 60 man battle rule try to mind your own business and you still get fucking thrown out unexpectedly um and the goal of any battle ruler for me is be the first one out of the motherfucker so you don't get hurt well. unless you're last one unless you're planned on being the last motherfucker in there or the last two or three people in there you'll be all right otherwise get the fuck out of there and ricky morton can fucking he's, he's one of the toughest ones to beat in a, 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 a battle royal because he'll be out for anyone else's out i guarantee it <laughs> so yeah he's he, he smartened me up to that Oh, you know, my, my brother, and I said it right before we recorded, my brother, one of his favorite quotes was a Ricky Morton. We'll start off slow and then taper down from there. That's right. And that's, that's it. Right. You know, that, that, that right there sums it up perfectly, I think. You know, just be yep. the first one out. Um, yep. Bobby, Let's I got a question. Well, I got a question. Okay, for, go I got a question for you, and this is going to be Battle Royal specific. But, okay. you, know, you know, the way they did the Battle Royal here was that was like your big that was your big match of the year and it was dangerous and most wrestlers didn't want in on it and it was a ten thousand dollar prize if you won. When you're getting thrown out of a ring, what is the safest way to land? Um I realizing that the gravity is gravity and there's not a um, safe, safe way to do this. Yeah. But what is the best way to in go? a controlled manner, uh preferably um if you can get one or both feet down solid without twisting an ankle or blowing out a knee, honestly, if you can get one or two feet down and hit and then, then hit and roll, you know, roll back up, uh, take as less trauma as you can. You know, obviously you don't want to land on your head or your neck, um, mm -hmm. your upper back. Uh, just hopefully the way you go out is you can get your center of gravity and swing your feet around enough that you can, you know, get one of both of them down. And as soon as you hit, just push and keep on going, you know, taking a bump more or less on the, uh, not try to take less impact off of when you're hitting like a hit and roll kind of thing, I guess. Okay. Uh, if well, that makes sense. More like if you're like parachuting, I guess, you know, when you hit and you, you duck and roll, you know, yeah, it's kind yeah. of the same thing. If you hit, you can, if you hit your face in the ring, you can just roll backwards. You know, if you're hitting away from it, you just roll forward, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Protect yourself. Uh, look at your surroundings. Try not to, I see this all the fucking time. Try not to be tossed over the rope and you swing over it and your lower back hits the ring apron on the way out. That hurts mm. like a motherfucker. Cause you, you know, if it's just one of your legs, even, it hits you in the back of the uh, hamstring and hurt like hell. Oh yeah. Or again, the, or the or the whole lower back and that hurts. Um, 
Yeah, so try not to touch that. Uh, th th there's a good way to go over it if you just grab the rope and if someone's working with you and they got you by the back of the tights and just run you across, then you just put your left hand out there and take a big jump. And if, you, if you're athletic, which I was fortunate enough to be, uh, you know, I just let go. Of the, I, right when they let go of my tights, I let go of that rope and I could pretty much just land on my feet and then slither or slide down very easy if I wanted to take a floor bump, you know. Yeah. But uh, I'd, already, I'd already hit the floor comfortably enough to know I'm not hurt, you know. Right. So, uh, well, and the reason yeah. I was asking that is, like, if you're thrown in the ring, I mean, and yeah, it's still, it's still going to be high, but you can still just do – you can do, like, a judo fall, you know, where you – Hit, yeah. You slap your, you know, your whole back of your arms and your hands. So that way you got spread it out over as much space as you can. But if you're going over the top rope, you can't do that. You, yeah. I don't care. It, I don't it, care. You can get hurt so easy. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't care how you good really you are at taking a judo fall. You fall that far. You're not going to be able to absorb it just yeah. by slapping the floor. You know, the main, my main concern was always, you know, uh, and, and most of the time I was in good hands uh, that, you know, someone's going to pick you up and, and give you a good toss to give you a good chance to balance yourself out to take a bump, you know. So, uh, but I've seen people be careless and throw someone smaller out, you know, and just fuck them off. And I, I never liked that, you know, kind of take a liberty with someone else or whatever. But um, it happens. But, again, that's why you try to get out. <laughs> yep. No, get to someone and say, get me out of here. You that, know? that makes total, total uh, sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. all right, let's, let's see here. Get back on track here, and I want you to do this next one at the Dallas Sportatorium because that's your territory. Yeah, well, this is one I definitely like watching. And, um, that building had been there for a while, and it was originally built by a fencing company in one shape, and it got added to and detracted from, and pieces were put on. <laughs> uh, apparently, the ring was over a giant hole in the ground, and there were two kinds of rats in the building with no air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely unsanitary. Yet still sold hot dogs and soda. Um, it sounded miserable, but I'll tell you what: when you tuned into it on on the on TV, and you heard about the historic Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, it sounded like the place to be. And yeah, some of that stuff. Just those matches were great. They were a lot of fun to watch. You know, it's kind of one of those things too, Bobby. For me, like. I watched a lot of, like, cheaply produced kids' TV as a kid, you know, Star Trek, all this stuff. You grow up, you realize just how bad it looks, but you still like it because you, you grew up on it. Mm -hmm. And you go back, you watch old WCCW matches. The quality of the matches were pretty good, but you start looking around outside the ring, <laughs> and you're just like, God damn, those chairs are all broken. <laughs> you know, <it's... laughs> um, the Sportatorium, it just continued to slide down after uh, Fritz closed, you know, closed up. Yeah. Um, and then it just fewer and fewer people were going to matches and it, you know, it, it held a bigger audience than it was like 10,000 people is what it could hold or something. But they got yeah. down to the point where they had like 900 showing up and then indie promoters started just taking ballrooms and things at that point. In 2001, it caught on fire. In 2003, it was completely demolished. There you go, man. There you go. The old Dallas Portatorium. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Jeremy, I'm going to skip down to the next one here. Okay. Uh, just ignite the one you see. I'm, I'm going to read a little pass from my book from Rock Rims. Um, if you don't mind, I'm reading yeah, a passage yeah. here. This is a uh, Bad to the Bone, 25 Years of Riots and Wrestling. 
It's by Rotten Ron Star with rock rims. And um, I think you'll like this, Jeremy, um, where we're heading to next, okay? Mm-hmm. She was an old girl long before I had, I had ever gotten inside of her. And a list of other wrestlers, boxers, and celebrities who could claim that same privilege was a mile long. And for years and years, thousands would line up at her doors several times a month with money in their hand, hoping to do the same thing. Sitting at eight teeth and grand in a downtown area of Los Angeles, the Olympic Auditorium was a building with lots of history and was world famous for wrestling, some, for hosting some of the biggest names and events in professional boxing and pro wrestling history. So I wanted to introduce the Olympic Auditorium by saying that right there. I mean, I, was, I thought that's pretty catchy. What do you think? That, that was a nice bit of artistic writing, um, you know, kind of anthropomorphizing yeah. the Olympic. Now, the Olympic has somebody that runs a Twitter account for them. I don't know who it is or what the relation is, but they're really on top of posting stuff about old matches and boxing matches and stuff going on in the L.A. wrestling scene from back in the day. Um, yeah. So that's, that's always cool. And, of course, you know, Rock Rims. I like Rims, that. They follow yeah. me, actually. We uh, they put f- them over. Mm-hmm. They, let me check. You know what? They're, they're still following. Um, I just checked the other day. I'm almost positive. Um, Olympic Auditorium follows you. Yes, the history of L.A. through a historic fight arena, 18th and Grand. The Olympic Auditorium story straining at... Um, Looks like March the eighth and tenth. Uh, they got a screening of something. I knew they were working on a movie on that. So there you okay. go. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a theatrical screening event. The Olympic Auditorium history story. Uh, tickets available soon. It's taking place March the eighth uh, through tenth at. Um, let me see if I say this right, Jeremy. Lemire, L A E M M L E, and Gen Pop present. So whoever that is. Uh, someone's presenting the Olympic Auditorium. Uh, lots of special guests. Um, and they do update stuff. They've got um, El Santo and Black Shadow on the, on the uh, match there right now, uh, what they're showing. Um, but anyway, yeah, big shout-out to the Olympic Auditorium. But uh, opened in 1924. The capacity was 15,300. Legendary match, it says right here, Freddie Blassie versus John Tallis, 9-4-1970. 5,833 shows. The Olympic Auditorium venue was the wrestling mecca at the heart of the old LaBelle territory from about the 50s to the 70s where Blassie was a linchpin. Mm -hmm. Before that, however, from the 20s to the 40s, uh, John Londos uh, sold the place out on a weekly basis. Ray Steele was a draw there. Also were Bobo Bazil and Ed Strangler Lewis. After Vince McMahon Jr.'s WWF bought the LA promotion in 83. They only ran it three times because Vince preferred to run the flashier LA Memorial Sports Arena and then later the Staples Center. But again, that doesn't mean there's not wrestling, there's not punk rock concerts, and a shitload of other stuff that goes on at the old Olympic Auditorium. So, uh, could be wrong that punk rock. Didn't have their last punk rock show there a couple years back. Uh, yeah, you know, we, I think we talked about this one time, but yeah, yeah I, um, I, I, think, think, I think we did too. Yeah, um, uh, it sounds familiar, if, if not necessarily something I know right off the top of my head. That does yeah, sound right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, they had roller derby there too, damn it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Got the roller derby there. Yeah. So I, that's the Olympic Auditorium. Now, that's the place I would have liked to uh, have went to either as a fan or as a wrestler, you know what I'm saying? Just to be a part of that history, man, that rich history there. Yeah. 
So no, that'd be that'd be really anyway. cool. Uh, too bad you weren't just a little bit older and didn't get to do a Pacific uh, Pacific tour real quick. Maybe hit yeah. there, there, San Francisco, Oregon, and then maybe Hawaii and Japan or something. That would have been yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been um, cool. I know we're gonna move right along here. I want to mention something else real quickly. We got kind of I'm gonna throw this again. To honorable mention. Uh, uh, I think we'll finish up with Massive Square Garden, if that's okay, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but, I'm, but I will come back to that. Um, I wanted to, to throw out a, um, a a personal favorite of mine. I've, I've probably mentioned this before. Uh, Cabrera County War Memorial Arena in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, I got the rest there for WCW. And i tell you what I liked about it, man. They sit down by this river. And it had this old school feeling. You just knew a lot of shit must have taken place at this at this building. And I hadn't even walked in except for maybe two feet at that point. That's just from the outside visual and just walking through the back and looking around going, oh, shit, there's, there's ghosts here, man, in a good way. Yeah. And there was an old hockey arena, okay? And that's where they shot the movie of Paul Newman called Slapshot. Oh, yeah. In 1977. And, man, uh, but... Uh, the. The history. I talked to a policeman there, a security guard, and he took me around. They had old stuff there, man, and just boxed up. They, had, I think, they just had a flood, as a matter of fact. But man, just some of the stuff that was there, um, it, it was just very cool to get that feeling. That uh, I didn't know the name of the arena. Um, I just know we wrestled in Johnstown. I looked it up, you know, but uh, that was pretty cool. And then. Um, we had, according to one report, and we we went off we went off here a little bit, Jeremy. Uh, we didn't we didn't um, when I found some of these articles, I stayed away from anything that said Bleacher Report or WWE, you right? Know, because th- they were all over the place with you know they use this venue, this venue, and all that. But uh, I did like this. According to one report, uh, here were some arenas that made it. Uh, we had intentional talking about some of these, but we didn't, and that's fine. Uh, ECW Arena in Philadelphia. Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. We did have that written down. Um, Allstate Arena in Rosemont, uh, of course, right outside Chicago. That's Rosemont, uh, Illinois. The Superdome of New Orleans, we definitely had that one written down. We yep. didn't go to great detail about it. We did. Have, we did. We had Mid-South and Superdome written down. Uh, we had um, Arena. We didn't have these, sorry. Arena Mexico in Mexico City. Uh, uh, shit, what is that, Jeremy? Uh, uh, Hall, yeah. to- Tokyo. and Hall, yeah. Thank you, Tokyo. Um, and lastly, and this is what we're going to finish up at, is Madison Square Garden, New York Center. Yeah. Uh, New York City. Center, I was trying to get back on. Well, so, there. so you uh, know. Yes, the that, garden. Yeah, I was going to say, that place had been a bunch of different things over time. I mean, it's been added to and rebuilt and this, that, and the other. But it's known as the Garden or MSG. Um, it yep. used to have a closed circuit channel back in the 70s and 80s where people in New York could watch wrestling matches on TV. Uh, WWF all the way to the WWE apparently basically owned this venue. But as recently as 2019, NJPW and Ring of Honor had started putting on shows there before the pandemic. So it looked like that hold might have right. been starting right. to break a little bit. Um, this is one of those, like, this is one of those classic venues. You know, there's a lot of big matches happened here. Um, riots happened here back in the day, probably some (laughs) superstar Billy Graham shenanigans. And, you know, I was going to tell you a story. Shane told me, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Shane, um, 
we was talking to, again, him and Tommy did a really good little seminar to talk about the history uh, of different things, how they became fans and this and that. And the franchise said, man, he was watching TV, and uh, one of the first things he remembered seeing was this big blonde monster guy. He liked cartoons, and this guy looked like right off the page of a cartoon of a superstar Billy Graham. You know, because he had the muscles, like the cartoon muscles and the blonde hair and the, the tie-dye and all that, you know. And he was standing behind a fence with the uh, the grand um, uh, grand wizard behind him or with him. And he's cutting a promo about being in Madison Square Garden against Bruno Sammartino, who had many, many, you know, legendary sellouts there through the years. And at the end, I guess, uh, so superstar Billy Graham, and I'm sure it's out there somewhere, uh, took a thing of cabbage and just started grading it back and forth against the cage and was saying, you know, doing his promo, saying this is going to be your face, San Martino. You know, when you show up to, at the Madison Square Garden, this is going to be your face, you know. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And then I was telling you off the air, uh, Tommy Rich talked about, he said he liked where he was at. He didn't want to go anywhere else. He said, he, he said I kind of liked my home down in Atlanta, you know. And, and uh, I used to be able to do a pretty good impersonation of Tommy, but I won't. I respect. But he said, he said, uh, um, he said Mr. Barnett come to him and said, Tommy, how would you like to wrestle in the Madison Square Garden? And he said, well, I'm, I'm kind of happy here, Mr. Barnett. He goes, yeah, my boy. No, I'm just kidding. He said, he said uh, no, he, Tommy said, he said, well, I, I think a young boy like you should get the experience of, of, of having to wrestle in Madison Square Garden. And, and, and Tommy said, okay, you know, and he, he got offside, of course, but he, you know, he's kind of like, he's happy where he's at. And I know Tommy, just, you know, good old country boy up there. And uh, so he went up there and I, he wrote, uh, had to wrestle Johnny Roz. And, um, Johnny Ross, Tommy, as Tommy said, he said, I guess he was pretty over up there at one point, and he didn't want to put over a little old white country boy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and he goes, but man, uh, that ring was so much bigger than what he was used to. And he said, Ross just had him doing like, uh, you know, uh, Hit the ropes, drop down, leapfrogs. He said his word of that, out running him across. He said, but he hung with them, you know. But he said that was his Madison Square Garden uh, uh, match that he had. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool to to uh, to hear these guys talking about, you know, Shane seeing, you know, uh, one of his earlier shows, programs. And honestly, that's probably one of the places. If, if when I was in Maryland in 69, I don't know if uh, what I was watching was coming from uh, the Baltimore Arena or if it's come from Madison Square Garden, you know, because WWF TV, I was watching with my aunt, you know, so I could have been watching uh, the the matches from the garden, you know, I, I don't oh, yeah. really know, uh, <laughs> but I would imagine I probably was. But then, uh, you know, thing about that is, um, uh, where we're all at today, I guess, uh, you know, you go from uh, Bob Backlund and. Uh, well, Superstar Graham and, and San Martino and the guys that wrestled there. But then the Sheik, the Sheik wins the title, man. The Iron Sheik. <laughs> and what happens from there, Jeremy? The Iron Sheik, man, he wins the title. And if no, if there's no Iron Sheik, there's no who. There's no Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that's for damn sure. That's right. Yeah. And that's the kickoff to WrestleMania 1 and bringing all the celebrities in and and uh, and. The other thing about that is uh, there's also no Hulk Hogan if there's no Roddy Piper. So yep. uh, that that all took place at Madison Square Garden. So, man, that just kind of brings you up to date on some of the arenas. And uh, I think we did a pretty good job and had some fun on that, man. Um, you know, we 
we appreciate everyone tuning in every week. Uh, we did, like I said, leave off a, a couple. Uh, we just kind of want to do it this way and, and have some fun with it. And I hope everyone enjoyed the program again this week, man. Um, anything else, Professor? Uh, Bobby, where can people get your books at? Oh, yeah. Let me, oh, you know what, man? You know what? Huh. I got to do something real quick. Yes, my books. You can go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1, and I'll take you to Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boostful Travel. Also got a second book called I Kicked Out on Two, The Education of a Wrestler. And you can go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 for that. And Professor, I did not want to forget this. I mentioned it earlier at the top of the hour. Uh, the guys that came in yesterday, Tommy and, and Shane, they had a visit with the Time Warp, man. And once again, let's do a live promotion because, once again, the Time Warp is our uh, this week's sponsor, man. Yep. So I'm um, going to start it. You cut in whatever you want. Sure Video thing. gamers, sports fans, nostalgia enthusiasts, are you ready for a Time Warp? Time Warp is a brick-and-mortar hobby shop with a huge selection of everything sports, gaming, and collectibles in downtown Ashland and two locations in the Ashland Town Center. They've got good vintage toys, sport cards, collectibles, tons of wrestling merch. It's the largest selection of memorabilia in a tri-state area. Time Warp has an extensive inventory of vintage and current video games and consoles. It's a 100% must-visit for retro gamers. Time Warp buys your collectibles daily and are open seven days a week, 365 days a year. Doing closed on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Check out their Facebook page at Time Warp Ashland. Thank you, Earl, for sponsoring this program this week. We hope you liked it. Mm -hmm. You can also find them on Facebook, and you can buy from them online uh, through Macari, or I'm sure Earl would be happy to accommodate you through an email. Uh, so don't forget to check them out on Facebook, kind of get a sense of what they've got coming in. They handle a lot of everything. Uh, you know, Bobby, like you're saying, they bring in wrestlers, but they also had uh, Sam Jones from Flash Gordon in there. They've had lots of... Uh, all sorts of like just pop culture celebrities come through, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really, really a cool venue and we appreciate their support a lot here at Bell to Bell Blaze or Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I got a dog chewing on my arm while I'm trying to do that. I hear you. Um, all right. So we got that. We got that. We got your books. Um, I think that's everything. I think so, man. I know we had fun with it. I know I did. Um, Anyway, how about this, Jeremy? Mm-hmm. See you at the matches, wrestling fans. All right, everybody. For the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>